Merry Christmas. Hope you're having a wonderful Christmas Eve. And if you would join me in prayer, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. Jesus, we thank you that you're our Savior. We thank you that you came for sinners. And this has been a really difficult year with a lot of twists and turns that we didn't expect. And this Christmas Eve service is one of those. But we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would use this time to draw us near to you. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to jump right into the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1. And you're like, man, this is pretty heavy. We're getting right into the genealogy. But I love this because it really presents Jesus, the Christ child in Bethlehem, and helps us understand the mission of Christ right away. Because in the genealogy of Christ, it's surprising how many broken people are listed. It's not this perfect pedigree of people that didn't need a savior, but even those in his genealogy desperately needed a savior. So this is verse one of Matthew chapter one. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah got Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. So right there we see Judah and Tamar, which goes back to the book of Genesis. And it's a crazy story. I won't go into all of the details, but we do find Tamar playing the prostitute with her father-in-law. And in that is the genealogy of Christ. Now you're probably shocked to hear that. And you're like, man, what's, what's he doing saying that out loud? But it's right here in Matthew chapter 1, because Jesus Christ came for sinners. He came for Judah. He came from Tamar. From this sinful relationship uh, began the lineage of Christ. One of the titles that's given to Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is this man. And Tamar is that prostitute. She played the, the prostitute. It goes on a little bit further, and we see Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Now, Rahab is a Canaanite, and she as well was a prostitute. When the children of Israel came into the promised land in Jericho, she had the faith to believe that God was giving them the land, and she changed her life by faith, and she trusted the Lord and went on to marry Salmon from the community of Israel, and she's listed here in the genealogy of Christ. And then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And the Moabites were not accepted by the children of Israel. In fact, in the Psalms, speaking of the Moabites, God says that Moab is my wash pot, that, that he washes himself with Moab. And, and it's showing that Moabites were not part of the community of Israel, but yet Ruth, this amazing woman of God, who married Boaz, entered into uh, the people of God, she's listed in the genealogy of Christ. What I love about this is there's no outcasts with Jesus. Israelites, devote Israelites, they would look at Moabites as outcasts, but not with Christ. Christ looks at all of us with his love, and that's declared for us in the genealogy of Christ. The last one I want to highlight is David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. This is Bathsheba. This was David's sinful relationship with Bathsheba. David committed murder, and then he committed adultery. There was no sacrifice in the law to provide for David's sin. In fact, according to the law, 
David should have been killed, capital punishment, but God was gracious to him. We know David was a man after God's own heart, but he was also an incredible sinner. Why this is so important for us this Christmas Eve is because Jesus came for sinners. And you may be listening to this and wondering, man, does Jesus love me? Could he really include me in his family? Could I belong to him? Maybe throughout this year, you found yourself doing some things that you ought not to do and some sin that breaks your heart and and guilt that, that you feel. Maybe the COVID virus and all of the stress has exposed our flesh in a way that we hadn't seen prior. And I want you to hear from the genealogy of Christ that that Jesus came for sinners. Also, we see the mission of Christ as we go on in chapter 1, that Jesus alone saves. So Jesus came for sinners, but also Jesus alone saves. So this is verse 18. Jump with me down to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Mary is engaged uh, to Joseph. They're preparing to get married in this betrothal, this very serious commitment that's even greater than engagement uh, today to break the betrothal. It would take a legal uh, divorce. And she conceives of the Holy Spirit, not through relationship uh, with Joseph. The conception through the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, verse 14. But as you can imagine, it caused great confusion, great consternation for Joseph. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Joseph's like, this is too much for me. I don't believe this whole virgin birth thing. Mary was unfaithful, but he didn't want to humiliate her, so he was going to break off the relationship, but do it secretly. And God intervenes and sends a message to Joseph through an angel. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, this is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. The Holy Spirit works in powerful ways, and the Holy Spirit was the one that brought about the conception for Mary. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Maybe you're wondering about Christ. Is is Christ really God? Is he really set apart from the rest of us? And there's been no one else in human history that's been born through the virgin birth. And God prophesied all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7 that the virgin birth would be the proof that God has sent his son in human flesh, that Jesus came as a man. All God and all man was born in Bethlehem for our sins. The angel then gives us the name of the Christ child. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means to save from sin. So in the name of Christ is the mission of Christ. The Hebrews would name their children based on meaning. 
We name our children based on how the name sounds. We think about how are they going to be treated and teased. With our four kids, we talked about so much, like what are the ways that you could maybe make fun of, of this name? But the Hebrews focused on meaning. And so the name of this child is so important. Jesus, for he will save them for their sins. And Christ alone saves us from our sins. Our sin is when we miss the mark. Or our sin is when we willfully rebel. But our sin is also when we're attending to do good, but we fall short. In the book of Romans, it tells us, Romans 3.23, that the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person that is exempt from sin. I think we know this. Deep in our hearts, we realize that we sin before a, a holy God. That's why we needed Jesus to be born. That's why we needed him to go to the cross and die for our sins and rise again. But the good news is then in Romans 6, 23, where it declares to us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And this is a physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. Our spiritual death is eternal separation from God. Our sin is that grave. It's that serious. It's that grievous before God that it's just for God to eternally separate us from him if we reject Christ as our Savior. The Bible calls it hell. Jesus described it as hell. It's not going to be a place of partying or a place of enjoyment, but outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. Thankfully, we have this opportunity for eternal life. The eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to provide the answer for our sins, to provide that free gift for uh, salvation. During this time of year, we celebrate by giving gifts. You're probably preparing to open some gifts this evening and open some gifts uh, tomorrow morning, but the greatest gift is Christ. It's the gift that he gave to us, that he would die for our sins and that he would rise again. Romans continues, what's it look like if we do receive Christ our Savior? What does it look like if we receive this free gift? What if you decide to believe Jesus' offer that he died for your sins and rose again? Then Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you receive Christ as your Savior, you're in him and there's no condemnation. There's no more guilt or remorse for sin. Then also the promise of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those that love God that are called according to his purpose. This is a promise that's specific for believers, specific for those who have received Christ as our Savior, that God is working his plan in our lives, not according to our perspective, but according to his perspective. A lot of times we go, man, this doesn't feel good. I don't understand this. Why is God allowing this trial? But from God's perspective, he's doing good things and he's conforming us into the image of Christ. So if you receive Christ your Savior, you'll have this promise that God's working his plan in your life. The end of Romans 8 tells us that there's no separation from the love of God. There's this assurance to know that now that I'm in Christ, nothing can separate me from the love of God. So how do you receive Christ as your Savior? How do you go from this place of, well, Jesus came 
to save us from our sins to where Jesus has saved me from my sins. Romans 10.9 answers that question. It says, if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? This is really important. It's to ask him to take control of your life, to allow him to be on the throne of your life. Lord means master. Are you tired of being your own master? Are you tired of being in control of your life and you see the mess that it has caused and the hurt and the damage upon you and, and others? Turn to Christ and allow him to be your Lord and then to believe that God raised him from the dead, to believe that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, according to what the Bible declares, and then God rose him from the dead to all those who believe will be saved turning from sin, repenting from sin, and asking Christ to be their Savior. So I want you to reflect for just a moment on this amazing gift that Christ has given. And if you know Christ is your Savior, to be able to rejoice in the fact that your sins are forgiven, that this, this Christ child came in the manger, born in Bethlehem, so that you could be saved. The greatest source of our rejoicing is in the fact that our sins are forgiven and we're brought into relationship with our Father, that we're the children of God. If you haven't received Christ as your Savior, I'd ask that you would consider receiving Christ as your Savior, that you'd begin to think about that now. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to trust Christ and to receive Him as your Savior. One of the things that we wanted to do with this service is to make it a little bit unique. And as we've just talked about the free gift of Christ, that he died for our sins, I want you to pause for just a moment. We're going to give it a, a five-minute countdown and share with those that you're gathered with what is the greatest Christmas gift that you've ever received. And just share that with one another. I know for me, the greatest Christmas gift that I ever received when I, was when I was 12. And my parents gave me a hunting rifle. And growing up in Southern Oregon, the hunting was a part of the culture. And I was so excited to receive that hunting rifle. And I still have it to this day. So talk about the greatest Christmas gift that you've received. But then also, I want you to discuss about how the gift of Christ has impacted you personally. So we'll pause for five minutes to discuss that together, and then we'll come back and finish our study.
Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed uh, discussing that uh, together, rejoicing in the gift of Christ, sharing that memory of a wonderful Christmas gift. We move on to our next point that Jesus not only saved us from our sins, but he's Emmanuel, he is with us. Matthew 1 goes on into verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and he quotes Isaiah 7, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So one of the names for Christ is Jesus, but another is Emmanuel, God with us. It's not Emmanuel, like here's a set of instructions on how to live the Christian life. I don't think anybody really enjoys having to, to go through a manual on how to set something up or how to be able to repair something, but it's so much better having God with us, Emmanuel. I hope that throughout this year in the difficulties and the, the ups and the downs that you have felt the assurance of God's presence, the promise that Jesus has declared to us from the book of Hebrews that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. I want to assure you that whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is with you. For those of you that are alone, that wish that you were watching this with, with family and friends, Christ is with you, Emmanuel. For those of you that have wrestled through quarantine, the different phases of it back in March and now currently, Jesus is with you. For some of you that have had trials that have had nothing to do with COVID, they've been unique trials that have come your way relationally and with your health in 2020, Jesus is with you. He is Emmanuel. 
As we think about 2021, there can be fear and anxiety in our hearts. There's so many things that are unknown, but what we do know is God is with us. He is Emmanuel. We rejoice in that and we hold on to it. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and didn't know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Joseph obeys and heeds the instruction of the angel. I want to go a little bit further into chapter 2 and look at Christ being born in Bethlehem, this amazing star that was brought to lead the wise men to Bethlehem. What's the significance of this star? Why did God put this star in the heavens? So look with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. The wise men were paying attention. They were looking up at the stars and they saw a star that was special, that wasn't ordinary, that stood out. And they realized that this star was pointing to the king of the Jews, was pointing to the Messiah. So they travel from a great distance. They travel from the east to try to discover the Christ child. And they're asking this question of Herod, where is the king of the Jews? What encouraged me as I was reflecting upon this is that Christ is born during a very dark time politically. King Herod, who we see is going to massacre all the boys two years and under. This black backdrop of a dark time politically with the Roman Empire and oppression on the children of Israel, God brings forth his son. Why that's so important is during this dark time that we live in, our hope is not in a political leader, but our hope is in Jesus. Political leaders do not prevent God from doing his work. Herod did not prevent Jesus being born to be the savior of our sins. Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet. This is from the book of Micah, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Bethlehem was the least. Bethlehem was not your popular destination point. There weren't VRBOs that people were desiring to go to. It was forgotten. It was five miles out of Jerusalem, but God chooses for his son to be born in this place of humility, to be a ruler and to be a shepherd. All people can relate to Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem. Tremendous humility. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. When did you first see the star? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you'd found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He, he didn't want to worship the Christ child. This is feigned fake worship. He wanted to kill the Christ child. He saw Jesus as a threat to his power. Maybe you see Jesus as a threat to your independence, a, a threat to your 
power. Let's trust Christ and surrender to him instead of seeing his position as a threat to us. In verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they'd seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over the, where the young child was. So the star stops right over where Jesus is. So you have this star giving testimony to Christ. This tremendous light in the sky is giving testimony to the light of the world. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You could imagine their excitement that they saw that the star has finally stopped over the house. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they'd opened their treasure, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So some time has gone by because Christ is no longer in the manger, in the barn. Mary and Joseph have been able to secure a house. He's a young child, and they present their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh to Christ. When we realize that Jesus is the light of the world, that this physical star is pointing to Jesus being our light, we respond in worship. We respond by opening our treasures to the Lord. We have nothing more valuable to us than our very selves to offer to the Lord in worship. So we've seen several things about Christ. We've seen that he came for sinners in his genealogy. We've seen that he's the only answer for our sins, his name, Jesus. We see that he's Emmanuel, but we also see that Jesus is the light of the world. This has been a very dark year, a very difficult year. And for us to understand that Christ is able to supersede the darkness, to supersede our discouragement. If you're in a place where you're being challenged and you feel that darkness overwhelming you, it's to focus on Jesus being the light of the world. So I want to take a few moments to look at how do we apply this? How do we apply what we've read today? First, I want to speak to those of us that are believers that know Christ as our Savior. This is such an important time to be on fire for Christ, to not be lukewarm, to not be somewhere in the middle. And as you look at your heart, have you drifted or fallen away from the Lord in this difficult year? Are you not in the place that you would desire to be? Thankfully, God welcomes us back as prodigals. He's the Father that always looks for us to return to Him. But we've got to make that choice to turn from sin and to turn back to him, to return to our uh, first love. So in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond and return to the Lord and come back to him. But then I also wanna encourage us as believers, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Our circumstances may be difficult, but what is the source of our thanksgiving is the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, that he's brought us into relationship with him, that we're the sons and daughters of God. So, so let's choose to rejoice. Let's choose to sing. Let's choose to give him the sacrifice of praise from our lips. Then I'd like to speak to those of you that are thinking about receiving Christ as your Savior. I, I want you to examine, have you ever trusted Christ for salvation? If you were to die, do you know that you have eternal life? And as we've talked about through the book of Romans, that Jesus is the free gift of salvation. And would you open that gift? Sometimes there may be a gift that's left under the tree that goes unopened, or 
Maybe you've been estranged from family members and you sent them a gift, but they returned that gift to you. They didn't open it. And Christ, for you personally, has given you the invitation. Jesus has said it powerfully, but simply. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you believe, would you repent from sin, turn from sin, and believe that Jesus is God, that he rose again, and ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior? So right now, I want to lead us in two different prayers for those that need to come back to the Lord and those that need to trust him for the first time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you have given us your son. We thank you that you always welcome us back. For those of you that need to come back to the Lord as a believer, please pray this with me. Father, you know that I've wandered away from you, that I've rebelled. I find myself in a place that I don't desire to be, that I never thought I would be in. But I come back to you. I repent of my sin and confess my sin to you, receive your forgiveness. And would you restore me back unto fellowship with you? Father, for those that are coming back to you, would you bless them with your grace? Would you bless them with your presence, the assurance that their sins are forgiven? Restore unto them the joy of salvation. And also, if you'd like to trust Christ as your Savior, would you pray this with me? Jesus, I believe you're God, that you're not a fairy tale, that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin and receive your forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and thank you for forgiving me. Father, I thank you for all those that have responded to the gospel. Would you protect them and bless them and grow them in you? And we rejoice and we know the angels are rejoicing. Amen.